The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This is Indie Beat. This is a podcast hosted by me, Christopher Jason Bell, and we talk to indie filmmakers, programmers, critics, actors, the whole gamut, if you will. That's how you pronounce it. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. We're on the Playlist Podcast Network. You can find other very fine shows on there if you just browse it. And you can find us on iTunes and all that jazz under the Playlist Podcast Network. Today we have on filmmaker and teacher Iman Zawari, without further ado, here is your interview. So, here I am with Iman Zawari. Hello, how are you? Hey, Chris, how are you doing? I'm, I'm keeping it real, you know? Good, good. <laughs> um, so, I don't remember how, but I, I stumbled upon your films. Uh, I saw a couple on Vimeo, and I understand that you're working on a feature um, at present called My Cousin Sister's Wedding. It's your first feature, and I'd love to get into that and, you know, all the stuff I've I've seen, but I wanted to start off very broadly uh, what we usually do, and, you know, how did you get into film? Um, yeah, so, you know, I came from a very, like... Um like I say, brown person's background where most of my family were physicians or lawyers. And that was kind of the path that was laid out for me. And, um, I've always uh, been into film. And when I was a kid, I would create skits and spoofs of like 90210 on the Arsenio Hall show. I'm showing my age, but yeah. And so we always like had so much fun and I would always create strong narratives and eighties movies are kind of like my niche, my thing that I'm just obsessed with. And I knew everything about it. So, um, when I went to undergrad, um, I went to undergrad at the university of Florida. I majored in, um, well, I promised my family to go to, to, to medical school. So like I did the whole thing where I did pre-med and I left and I was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll I promise I'll be a lawyer. <laughs> and then I majored in, in religion and near Eastern languages, cultures. And I was like, okay, um, I'll be a lawyer. And then, um, my husband ended up going to law school at FSU. And while he was there, um, I heard about FSU's film school being one of the top in the, in the nation. And I was like, okay, um, I never thought this was a possibility for me, but I'm totally going to apply and I'm not going to tell my family. And, um, if I get in, then, you know, we'll see. And if I don't, then I'll just go along the, the regular path that has been laid out for me. So I got in and, uh, it was a really big thing because again, I was like probably one of the few of a handful of Muslim women that went into film during that time. And, um, my family was okay with me doing it as long at, because of the prestige of the school. <laughs> but even after, like, you know, I went to the Emmys and I did all that stuff, my 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 father kept asking me, hey, uh, so you can take your LSAT now? <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's kind of how I found film is, um, you know, it's always been a passion of mine. I never thought it could be a career choice, but um, 
it just kind of like laid out there for me. Was this more of a family thing where they wanted you to, you know, study this very particular thing? Did you yourself have these kind of reservations or did you just, you know, always find joy in it? No, I didn't. That's a great, I mean, that's the first time anyone's ever asked me that question. Um, no, I really just, I felt like it was my passion. Um, I didn't come from this background where like, if you love something, you'll be great for it. It was always like, this is what you do. And we are good at this. And this is what's been in our family. And that's what we're going to do. But I never thought like, you know, do what you love. Because I, my father was a physician, but I don't think he ever loved doing it, you know. And so um, I just, I was just like, I just kind of, I guess I'm a person that just kind of runs with my passion and ambition. And if it works out, it works out. It doesn't, then I go through something else. So um, I didn't have reservations. I was just so happy to be a part of it that my joy overcame any any fear, I guess. Right. Yeah. No, I was just curious, um, you know, given what you said about your family and also, you know, uh, I don't know how many filmmakers you talk to who are just like very kind of down on themselves or, you know, even very exhausted after they've made something. And it almost seems like, you know, you can't tell if it's not really worth it for them anymore. Like if they sort of have reservations about like continuing or something like that. So just curious if you had, uh, if you had experienced something like that. Um, well, definitely now with my feature film, cause it's been a six year journey. Um, and I've, I've actually talked to other filmmakers that said that once they directed their first feature, they never directed again because it was so traumatic. And I was like, Oh my God, that would never be me. But never in my life did I think it would take six years to make a movie and take every relationship and draining of me like ever. Um, but it has, uh, well, but I mean, I will say, yeah, I guess, I guess the concern is, uh, being a, you know, being financially stable. And that was a concern my family had for myself. And as being a starving artist, it's difficult for you to do. Right. So, um, but again, I was privileged in the sense that, you know, I had, I had a husband that was supporting me and had a family that supported me. So I didn't have to, like be a waitress while trying to make my movies, you know? Um, but I was also fortunate enough to teach at the university. And so my goal was always to teach at a university and make films. And I, for, I think about five years, I was not doing that. I was struggling for five years just, but I was touring with my shorts. I was, you know, doing, you know, the freelance jobs here and there, shooting commercials and things like that. But I hadn't gotten, I have, I was never, never able to get my foot in the door, like at the university until, um, I produced a feature film, um, with Adela Romanski and, um, Adam Bowers here in Gainesville. And that's kind of how I got my foot in the door with the university because I worked with a university professor. So it kind of all came together through, you know, making movies. That's interesting. And, uh, I might've missed it before, but did you say that, like, did you have to get a master's in order to teach or no? Yes. So I got my MFA. You have to have a terminal degree to teach at the university or at least a master's. So, um, an MFA at um, like film schools are like terminal degrees. So there's like no PhD. So it worked out well. Yeah. That's funny. Um, I also wanted to do that. I wanted to make films and teach. Um, and then I was like, I refused to get an MFA because I already had like $70,000 of debt from, uh, undergrad. And, wow. uh, yeah. Um, it's gone now somehow. Um, Oh, congratulations. That's huge. You. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, I, I didn't want to do that, but I thought maybe I could do – find another way to do it if I didn't have to – if I couldn't teach in the universities. And then 
I had took my feature to my old school to show to the freshmen and to the seniors. And the seniors were, were fine, you know. They asked some good questions. They seemed, like, relatively engaged. But the freshmen, I was just, like, I had such a miserable experience. And I realized I do not have the patience to teach. Um, <laughs> you know, this was two years yeah. ago, so maybe that's changed. And uh, I don't know. It was also one of those things where I was – I didn't hit 30 at the time. I, I was still – so maybe it was more than two years ago, but – I, I wasn't 30 yet, and I was just like, oh, it's not so far, you know, school. I was here only a couple of years ago. And then I saw how little the freshmen looked and how, you know, it was like, oh, my God, they're right out of senior year. They are very yeah. – there's a huge gulf here, and I'm just realizing it now. Oh, yeah. I mean, I just – Constantly feeling my age. And, you know, I mean, I totally feel you. I don't teach. I've never taught a freshman. I only teach junior and seniors. So um, so that's an interesting thought. Uh, but I'm always feeling my age, and I'm ho- having to get up with the generations. Like, now, I was teaching millennials, and now I'm teaching the Z- Gen Zers, I guess. And it's like, they're really different. And, and even orientation, they're telling us how <laughs> different these generations are. And I'm like, oh, can't even keep up with this. It's funny, um, yeah, and no, no shade on the on, on freshmen at all. Um, <laughs> we were all there once. Yeah, totally. I mean, I, I couldn't get too upset because uh, I absolutely fooled around in college. You know, I didn't take certain things seriously, and uh, you know, I don't blame them. But it was one of those things where it was just like I had to kind of get over that myself. And then I was thinking, like, would I be able to handle this? Like, it just—I don't think it's for me. But I'm curious, like, what what teaching is like for you? Like, what are the film students like, you know? Um, so I love teaching. I mean, it's clearly, like, a, I, probably my biggest passion with film. Um, I, I think I'm, I don't know if, like, childlike, but I'm young-like. So uh, most of the students like, are kind of like friends, and I'm teaching them something fun. So they're all super engaged. Um, a bunch of the students that I've worked with, uh, like I started like kind of like a boot camp film school because my university um, is still, so I'm at the University of Florida and it's uh, film program is, is still, you know, flourishing, I should say. So I'm trying to strengthen it. And so one of the first things I've done was create like a boot camp narrative film pr- school, school class called collaborative, narrative collaborative filmmaking. And um, I had to like guinea I'm like, why am I messing up so much? Okay, <laughs> I had to create the class from scratch, and then I had to handpick students for it. And you know, that first class, I'm still working with them, and I've worked with them on my feature film, you know, and teaching them kind of like what I know. And it's the first time of them trying being on like a real Hollywood set because before then, they were just taking a camera, going out with two people, and shooting a shooting like a movie. They weren't working in like 15 people crews. And so I kind of introduced that to the school and it was just like really big experience for all of these kids. And now it's a, you know, semesterly class that that is being taught. So um it's it's a really great experience and it's also really awesome to see the kids for so many years. So I get to see them from like the beginning class all the way till their senior classes. Um, so like, well, they're junior. So it's like four, four semesters, which feels like forever. But, um, I get to kind of, you know, stay with them and watch them grow and see how they grow and then go into professional life. So, and then, and then work with them. So one of the editing students is actually one of editing my film right now, which was, um, I told her when she was on the phone, I was like, there's no way you're gonna edit my movie. <laughs> graduated from undergrad. That's, that's crazy talk. But then like I've had professional editors in and out and it was like, 
crazy. And she ended up being the best person for the film and the most passionate about it. And it was like the perfect fit. And I'm just, I'm really kind of lucky, you know, to have her and to have taught her and then have her, you know, kind of like teach me basically. So it's pretty cool. My, my thing with, uh, I guess the freshman is that I felt like a resistance because I, I screwed around a lot in college, but I did want to learn this thing that, you know, I went into college not knowing anything. I went to college being like, I really like sketch comedy and I feel yeah. like I want to learn how to do this. So I, everything was new to me. I wanted to watch everything, um, you know, not to toot my own horn, but I was like trying to be engaged for the most part. And uh, I felt resistance from... Uh, a lot of the freshmen and it's not super unique to, to this set because I remember my classmates sometimes like I would feel that they would not be interested in any move showing during class and, you know, just not being engaged, but you're teaching juniors. So I feel like they're probably into it, you know, by then. Yeah. Well, they, yeah. Cause you have to get into the major at that point. And so, and they're getting into their first production class. So they, they took out all those like weed out classes, you know, um, or those intros like intro to telecom and kind of those boring type of theory classes. And now they're making things. So they're super excited about making things. But I will say there, there's a lot of students that end up in this major that don't want to make movies and they want to go to law school or go something else. And those a little bit are a little bit more challenging because they're just trying to get through it and they're not really passionate about it and they don't want to make th- things, um, but they're just doing it. <laughs> so, you know, it, that happens in each class is that you have different levels of, um, you know, baby filmmakers. And so you kind of have to, you know, work with everybody's talent. And that's kind of like the bigger challenge of like teaching, I feel. I've seen, I think most of your short films, were they all produced while you were in college? Um, yeah. So my short films, I made one a year. And then my last one was kind of, it was, I had graduated, quote unquote, but I still was enrolled because um, it was like a quote unquote thesis film that the Princess Grace Grant gave me. So I stayed enrolled to kind of make that um, last short undercover. What What's that grant? How did you get it? Is that just like it's out there and you apply for it or? Yeah. So it's given to seven um, filmmakers in uh, film school. It's the princess grace uh, foundation uh, grants. And they, she, they, they go off after like um, princess grace of Monaco. She wanted to support the arts. So they have this very large foundation in New York that supports the arts. And it's kind of this, you know, um, and they support you till now, like you stay a part of their alumni and, um, it's a, it was kind of like a big deal to get that grant. And so I was pretty excited and honored to be able to get that grant to, to make that movie. So, yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. Congratulations. Congrats. Uh, way after the fact, um, Long time ago. Yeah. so these short films, uh, from what I understand for the most part and your feature, which I've seen a little bit of, uh, you're mostly working in comedy and you stated that you love these eighties movies, um, can you talk a little bit more about like what you love about those movies and which movies in particular do you love and um, what drives you to kind of work within that uh, subgenre, I guess? Yeah. So, um, you know, comedy is, I feel like is a great tool um, for people to uh, learn and yet kind of feel good. Cause when someone laughs, 
they're able to let their guard down and they're also able to learn from the experience of that they're watching. So obviously um, I, you know, attack the issue of American Muslims. And especially when I was in film school 10 years ago, that was never addressed on screen. And, um, it's very rare to see, like in the shorts that you saw, it was very rare to see a Muslim woman covering her hair on screen. Actually, I don't think I ever saw it then. So, um, you know, trying to address the, like, you know, we're like everybody else, the humanism type of aspect. I feel like comedy is the best way to, to go through that. And growing up in, you know, being brown in little Panama City, Florida, which I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it's like spring break party. It's also known as Redneck Riviera. But right now it's been hit by the hurricane pretty bad. So it's devastated as well. But um, so, you know, being a huge minority in both my look and my uh, religion, we use comedy to kind of get through the everyday norms that we went through. And I thought that was, you know, I was just, I grew up with that type of comedy. Also, my background is Egyptian and Egyptians are just all about comedy. So it was kind of like in my, um, in my life all the time. And my favorite 80s movie, so Tom Hanks is my guy. So every favorite Tom Hanks comedy, not his dramas, are my favorite. So my favorite movie is The Burbs. And, of course, yeah, Money Pit and um, Coming to America, which I've done a huge homage to in my feature. Um, even to where I'm get that song. I'm ty- uh, using the Coming Amer- America song as my opening sequence, hopefully, if <laughs> I get the rights to it. Um, you know, it's – I can – I was just watching Overboard the other day. It's like literally my entire like childhood of any 80s movies. They were always just made you feel good and were happy, you know? And it's interesting because I think I have with this film accomplished an 80s comedy feel, but it is so different than what you what you watch now. It's I want it so everybody's like telling me this is super nostalgic and that makes me feel like I accomplished my goal because I want to get that eighties kind of nostalgia. You know, my shot design is kind of like that as well. Um, and so I'm very happy that I was able to accomplish it, but I just hope that audiences appreciate it as much as I do. Do you keep up? Do you watch like modern, uh, comedies? Oh yeah. I mean, I love Judd Apatow films and, um, I mean, Will Ferrell, I'm a huge fan of Will Ferrell. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, I, for sure. I, I'm, I stay up with the comedies, but I always say that comedies are not as strong as they were back in the day. I, these come up a lot, like these like 80s things, because they were my jam, too. I kind of like grew up just glued to the TV. Whatever was on was kind of like, oh, these are my favorite movies because they're uh, playing all the time. Like John Hughes movies come up a lot on this uh, yeah. on this podcast. And it's usually we're usually talking about stuff we didn't recognize back then because you know we were kids or whatever but uh how messed up like some of the content could be um yes you know to put it to put it lightly um yeah i don't know we this always comes up it's kind of like how do you reconcile with that oh yeah well one of my biggest ones which is not an 80s but it's um again it's a it's a uh a 90s you've got mail it's like one of my favorite movies and i was like watching and i'm like Good Lord, this guy is just totally messing around with this woman's head and he's going in and out of like playing around with her. I mean, it was just like so messed up. And it was funny because my friends were like, please don't ruin the movie for me. But it was, it's, and I, and the same thing like with Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. Like it's just all of these things. You're like, wow, it's, uh, 
it's amazing what we were trained to see and how much we let slide. You know, how much were these like little seemingly like innocuous things actually like seeping in and what was the effect of that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's always interesting to go back and revisit these things and you have the, uh, the passionate, like the passion for them and to kind of have to deal with these parts of the art that, you know, you can kind of try to leave behind or try to like excise. And I don't know. Right. No, I mean, it's, it's so challenging too, because, you know, it's like we are trained to see a certain type of look in film. And so now when we're seeing what my goal has always been, which is people of color and minorities leading on, on, on television and film, like, it's like, wow, it's like, it pops out to you so strongly because it was so unnatural to us. Cause that's all we ever saw. And like, we're finally seeing people that look like us, you know, or that have the same struggles like us. And that's, you know, something I'm, I'm so proud and happy to be able to witness and be a part of, you know, it's very, it's, it's very exciting for me. I don't know when I, when I became, when I graduated school and I was like, I'm going to make a movie and I got more into the indie scene. Mm -hmm. I was seeing a lot of like no budget stuff. Cause it's like, all right, I don't have money. I'm going to end up like working uh, this way. And I was seeing a lot of stuff just to get the lay of the land and, and everything. And there was only so far I can go, you know, I, I realized that there was stuff I couldn't see because I couldn't, they weren't released and they were just playing like in festivals and, that was basically was it. But I was really struck by how white everything was. And it seemed to me that it's like the very least, the very like the least you can do the studios or whatever was doing. And it just seemed like I was watching these movies, which were for all intents and purposes, like very rough romantic comedies. But it just it just seemed like a junior version of what I was seeing like complete with like the kind of very white cast. And, uh, it didn't make sense to me. It's like, why are you making an indie, this little indie movie and just replicating exactly what you see? Like, shouldn't you in some form, like being a going against the grain and, and doing something different? I completely agree. I mean, it's interesting. Like I'm watching my, my feature and, you know, one of the first concerns I said is like, oh, my God, this movie's too brown. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm like, is anybody that's going to watch this because it's all brown? And I was concerned. I mean, obviously, the first rule is you make a movie that you love and then other people love it, right? That's what we always say. But at the same time, it's like a huge concern in the sense of, you know, is this going to be for broader audiences? Because that's who I'm making it for. I mean, I'm not just making it for my audience, but for a broader audience. And I'm just so trained to see myself, even me. I'm so trained to see, you know, whitewashed films that I was concerned. I'm, I'm kind of, and still concerned that my film will not be seen because it is all Brown. You mentioned that you were making when you were in school and making films and you were not seeing people of color, uh, in the films. So now you're out of school and now you've, you've traveled and, and been to festivals and stuff. Like, do you see a difference now from when you were in school or is it still like a major problem? I think there's a huge difference for sure. I mean, a lot, and not only is that, um, you, I'm seeing, you know, more things, not, 
I mean, and I will say there's, if there's still an issue, of course, I'm still, I'm seeing more than I had before, but what I'm seeing as more um, encouraging is that there's more minority filmmakers that are coming out. So they're being encouraged by, you know, others, like I saw you do this, I can do it. And that's, what's like really exciting is that what's going to happen is that you have the pioneers doing this and it's going to take some time before we have like a large amount of people doing it. And, you know, that's why I, um, I knew that, Again, I was one of – there's literally like a handful of us in the nation that were Muslim women specifically creating films. And um, I created a, a Muslim film grant with um, the non-for-profit organization Islamic Scholarship Fund. And it was the first American Muslim film grant. And I'm like, we're going to find emerging Muslim filmmakers and we're going to support them. And um, we're on our fifth year now and it's been really great. You know, we've every year we have more and more submissions, which like – you know, make my heart sore that like there's more support for these, um, for these artists and they're actually going out and choosing to do film and to change the narrative and to tell their stories. What is your experience been like, you know, as a Muslim, as a woman, uh, in the film business industry community, you know, so on. Very supportive. I will say it's like, I've never had a negative experience, um, as a Muslim filmmaker. It's like, they're like, wow, you know, you're making movies and it's a voice we've never heard. So when I was a part of the NBC comedy shortcuts, when I had made tough crowd, you know, I was talking to the NBC, NBC executives and they were like, yes, we need your voice. This is a voice we have not heard and we need it. And that was back in 2009. I don't know if that voice has ever actually gotten there, but, but um, it's, uh, it's always been one of support. Um, I've never had one of like, uh, negativity. Um, I actually get, unfortunately, more negativity from my own Muslim community than I do, of course, of the broader American community. Um, so I've been really lucky in that sense. Why do you think you get more from them? Or like, in what way do you get more from them? Yeah, it's just because it's like, what are you doing? Every, I, I think literally people think that I'm just outside with like a toy camera and being like, look what I do. You know, they're, they're just, well, also, they're just like, I mean, I think it's with any any community. You're just not trained to think that a filmmaker or someone that makes movies is a serious um, occupation and one that's going to make a difference, you know? So now it's much better. But again, in the beginning, it was very difficult for people to be like... It was to the point where, you know, my mom would tell, would tell like her friends, like, yeah, she's a filmmaker. She's not going to, she's not going to go anywhere. Like she's not going to make anything. Like it's a very large concern. And I'm like, mom, can we please stop doing that? And it's interesting because my mom's a huge supporter of me now. And it was because she saw, she went to set in New York when I had one of my biggest days. It was like, there was 80 cast and crew in this small house and we're shooting this huge scene. And she was like, whoa, she's like this, you're, you're making a real movie. And I'm like, yes, mom, this is what I've been doing, <laughs> you know, but I was so thankful that she was there and she saw it. Cause she sees like, you know, the struggle on the path and she's been on like on my side going through and doing, you know, being so supportive of it, which I never thought I would see that day. Oh, that's awesome. Congrats. Mom's on her side. Yes. Um, is there like, you know, I'm a white dude. Um, it, I don't have to talk about this stuff. You know, is there a feeling for you that you, you have to talk about it too much? 
Oh yes, of course. I mean, it's like, I'm the token, right? Um, I'm the token at, at my university. I'm the token, you know, and, and when I walk outside, I'm the token when I go to give speeches, you know, um, yes, I definitely feel there is, um, an urge and necessity for me to speak about it. And I welcome that. I'm never tired of it. I feel, um, I do feel like it's an obligation, but I feel like it's super necessary and there's not, still, there's not many people like me. There's more coming up, but there's many people like me and I don't mind, you know, being that voice. And I, what's really helped actually, especially when I've been in the more like I've never been in kind of like a corporate university realm. And so now that I'm more like the professional corporate university realm, I am able to understand that people around me, you know, white males, especially do not see my worldview. They only see their worldview, but they want to learn the worldview, right? So things that are not apparent to them that are super apparent to me. And I'm surprised, like, like, what I would call like blatantly blatant racism in a film, they wouldn't notice it at all. And I would have to point it out. And I, that happened to in one of our student films where the, they, one of the students had a, uh, two black guys that were playing gangsters. And I'm like, good Lord, is this really happening right now? And the, the, the good guys were two white guys. And, um, it, the movie played and everything. The movie's really hilarious. Two of the students were, they were formerly mine at right after the film, <laughs> right after the film, I went up to both of them and I said, Hey guys, great job with the movie. Uh, can you tell me what's wrong with your movie? And then and this is at their premiere. I'd be so happy, whatever. And I just, I just like went straight to them and they were like, one of them was a minority. One of them was a white guy. And they both were students of mine. And I, and they're like, no, what? And I was like, it's racist. <laughs> and they're like, Oh no. And I'm like, what do you mean? Oh no. That's like too late now. Like who makes this movie anymore? Who makes a movie where two black, two black guys are the gangsters and they're going to kill white men? Like what, who, how is this even happening? And so when I talked to the professor about it, I mean, he was like, he was so, um, mind blown. He was like, you know what? I never thought about that. I cannot believe it. And he said to me, this is what, so this is why it's so important that you are here. And I was like, gosh, it just like, it was, it was such an epiphany to me that because it's not a part of their worldview and it's such a large part, a part of my worldview, it doesn't like, it doesn't compute yet. You know, and even though they like the professors, the most amazing guys ever, no matter what their ethnicity is, like they're always trying to be very, you know, conscious of things like that, but it's just not a part of their worldview. And that's something I've begun to understand. Like, you know, we get all up in arms of like, oh my gosh, how could you not know about this? And how could you not know about that? It's because they just don't, it's not a part again of their psyche. I mean, I'm a white dude again, <laughs> to reiterate. <laughs> um, so I understand if people get upset, you know, if, if someone's like accidentally racist and they're a person of color, like they have every right to get upset. It's fine. Um, so I can't say like, I don't want to tell anybody, please be patient with certain people. I mean, some people are just assholes and they're not going to learn. They don't want to learn or they know, and they just don't care. But, uh, some people don't know. I think the indoctrination is really, really deep. Like it's hard to break out of that and to kind of, you know, turn the, I guess, blinders, you know, turn them off. That's a really great point to say indoctrination. And I was talking to another professor of mine, a colleague of mine, and he was like, you know, is it our job to let the students know 
um, that they shouldn't cast that way. And he was asking me that question. And I'm like, of course, 1000%. I would never let that happen. I've actually happened. It's, it's actually happened a few times in my, you know, my film class. And I won't say don't cast that person. What I would say is, do you think this is the right casting choice? And then they'll be like, oh no, you're righty, man. You know, like they'll think about it. I'm not going to say you're absolutely not going to cast this racist, uh, stereotype here, but you know, I'm hoping as like, you know, living an example of, look, we're going to create stronger stories for minorities, even though you're, you know, white girl, white, white boy, Asian, whatever you, you're, we're going to create, um, stronger stories for every, everyone. So, um, but it was interesting to me that, you know, that question's even asked because it's not even a question for me. It's an obvious, yes, we are not only teaching these kids, uh, storytelling, but we're also teaching them like life lessons, you know, like we want them to be responsible storytellers and you know, that's my responsibility. Yeah. And I think that also as a uh, teacher, something that I'm going to go out on a limb and say most film programs don't have is a kind of like media analysis component to their education. I could mm-hmm. be wrong, but I, I suspect that it doesn't because I, I feel like a lot yeah, of people can't. Very true. Yeah. yeah, I feel like a lot of people can't uh, do that. And there's like a resistance to even say that, uh, you know, there's nothing behind uh, images or anything, even if it's like a, not necessarily commercial, but you know, a movie that's, they're not, unless it's like blatantly, um, product placement, then a movie is completely neutral or something, which is, you know, not the case. And I think what you're doing is, is definitely a, an important component to that. And I wish more people, uh, would kind of, you know, if they're not in, in film school or whatever, but, but would kind of read up on that and I don't know, be more critical of, of what they see like across the board. Yes, no, I agree. I mean, I um, I created another class called Islam Media and Pop Culture, and um, I actually took the title from a professor at Emory, and I thought the idea was so ingenious. I was like, oh my gosh, we totally need this now. Like the first time I taught it actually was the election year of Trump, so it was before he was elected. Then I taught it again the next year after he was elected, and then afterwards, and it was amazing, like how much has changed, how much kids learned. And what I did is, I mean, I didn't address just Muslims, but minorities. And every week we discussed a certain type of media. So photo, you know, um, radio, film, television, and I'd have like industry professionals Skype in and talk about their experience as Muslims or as minorities in the field. And I felt like we were changing the world in this little, you know, it was just a 30 person class and it, all of them were mind blown by the information that they were given. Um, I unfortunately don't teach that class anymore because I teach this film class every semester because they want me to. I'm going to try to get that class back. But I feel like that type of class is necessary for students to kind of, again, be well-rounded and go out and be um, responsible media storytellers. I agree. Yeah, hopefully you get that class going again soon. I think that's something we definitely need. So I was wanted to talk a little bit about Undercover. Was, yeah. was this your last short film? It was, yeah. Okay. Um, what was the genesis of, of it? So, um, it's a. I mean, it's about a a Muslim woman that 
wants to be a detective and uh, she has to handle a kidnapping case in order to get detective. And so I was just kind of thinking to myself, you know, we always know you put your character in the worst situations, you torture your character. So I was like, what's the antithesis of a Muslim woman in certain situations? And I was like, just started listing things out. And like pig came to, cause Muslims can't eat pork and they're not supposed to touch pigs and all that stuff. So it was like, that seems like a really hilarious situation. Make a, and how ridiculous, ridiculous is it that like a detective has to be put in charge of a kidnapping case. So, um, you know, I was talking to uh, my co-writer and friends about it and we kind of brainstormed this idea and um, that's kind of where it came from. <laughs> it was a lot of fun and I felt like, you know, uh, this is sort of a generic thing to say, but I I felt like there was maybe more to be had. Like I wanted to spend more time with it. Was there like any, I it, the, the length of it too makes it almost feel like it could be a pilot. I know it's very self-contained, but it's like, well, why don't we follow these two around longer? Um, was that ever an intention? No, I never even thought about that. I mean, yeah, that's that's a pretty hilarious idea. Um, I actually met Mark, who was um, the lead character from the NBC comedy Shortcuts. He's a he's a writer and actor, and he actually won the the pitch competition at NBC. And he's so hilarious, and he's so goofy. And he works so well with um, Ali and the other actress that was in it as well. But you know, it's interesting because. They always tell you, and one of the short festivals did tell me this as well, is like, you need to be shorter. Like, 18 minutes is too long for a short film. So that was actually a challenge for me, is that the the short was a little bit too long. Because I guess it wasn't 22 minutes, which was a pilot, which is a good point. But it was just kind of a little bit too long. But yeah, no, that's a, that's a pretty good idea, actually. <laughs> I had a festival director on a couple episodes back and I was just like, well, you know, what do you want? Like, what are you really looking for that you're not getting a lot of? And, uh, comedy is a big one. You know, everyone's trying to make uh, a serious drama and she was like, you know, good comedies are tough and, um, you know, the shorter, the better. And I was like, well, how short? And I expect her to say like 10 minutes, like 10 minutes is kind of like, I'd always thought that was like, you know, it's, it's enough time to do what you want and it's enough time to like, put other stuff with it and get in and get out. She said like, I think she said three minutes and I was like, Oh wow. I don't know how you do that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's hilarious. And I, I tell my kids that too, five to seven minutes, you know, and that's because that's what like short programs want. And like, it's actually pretty amazing because we found so many award winning shorts that are five minutes long. I don't know if you know, have you heard of the short lights out from the, yeah, it's that, that I mean, that is scary, right? And that small thing got the director to a two picture deal, you know? And that's crazy. And that's what, like a big um example I'm always using is like the how simple this movie is. And it was like two, three minutes and or like and they got two picture deal from it, you know. So This was released in twenty ten and uh your feature, My Cousin's Sister's Wedding, you said took six years in order to do it's fine uh my feature took maybe three or four so i am not making fun of you i totally understand uh you know what you probably went through at least like you know a percentage of what you went through um what but were you like what was that like 2010 and now it's 2019 was it were you like fidgety to get something out there so, yeah, so from 2010 to, like, uh, 2013, 2014, 
Um, I was actually writing another feature film with, uh, I was, so I was always working on something, but I was writing another feature film with, um, I don't know if you know him, Mo Armour. He has his own stand-up special on Netflix. He's a comedian. He was coming up. So I was writing it with him and another comedian. We're trying to do like kind of his life story. And so I was working on that for, for a while. And then, um, I went to New York and I saw the play Dirty Packy Lingerie by this actress, Isa Fatima. And again, never seen anything like that. It was a one woman show where this woman transformed herself into six different Muslim women through like, um, a piece of cloth. And I laughed and I cried and I like, you know, screamed. It was just such an amazing show. So after, at the end of the show, I said, Hey, uh, you know, I make, I make some, you know, short films. We've been in films before. Would you like to make a movie? (laughs) that to her we talk about that a lot that conversation and she's like yeah girl let's do it and so we emailed back and forth for a while and um from that from just that conversation we spent (laughs) six years it actually took and this is a mistake that I feel like you know first feature film directors do is that they do too big of scripts right so because her play was six different people we chose three of the people when he did a three-story structure. And writing a multiple-story structure is crazy difficult. And that's what ended up happening is it took us like four years to write the script and to get it to a place where we felt like it was ready to film. And um, that was kind of like the main bulk of it. And then during the four years, of course, we were slowly trying to get funds. And of course, that was the most difficult part, like any filmmaker will ever tell you, is trying to find um, funds. We had, I have so much experience of traveling around and pitching, and I mostly pitched to Muslims, which was a mistake, but that's the people that I know. But Muslims are not going to support films, they, especially during that time. They were like, no, why would I do that? Like, I, I know that's a lose-lose situation. And I'm like, all right, well, you don't want to support the cause, and fine. <laughs> so um, that's kind of like, a, that was a, you know, the biggest struggle but, you know, we, I got a certain amount of f- funds and we're like, okay, we can do this finally. And that's last year at year five. And then it took us a year to edit. <laughs> it's just like, because it was a multi-story structure. Um, and it's, uh, it's been quite, it's been quite the journey for sure. But I, yeah, but I hope it's, uh, I'm happy with it. I mean, I hope, I hope it's, uh, something that, you know, people will be excited to see. It's, it's a, uh, I say it's a cross between Bend It Like Beckham and Love Actually. Yeah, you know, you didn't actually, we didn't actually talk about, uh... all right, let's rewind a little bit. Um, yes. So the feature is called My Cousin's Sister's Wedding. Tentative title, I believe? Yes, very tentative. We're definitely changing that title. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, can you give like a brief pitch of it? Yes, yeah, sure. So it's a, um, it's a story about three uh, Pakistani-American Muslim women living their life and love and career in New York City. Um, it's, again, a cross between uh, Bend It Like Beckham and Love Actually, and, uh, and my big fat Greek wedding as well. So it's kind of like this rom-com, but it does deal with Trump's America. So there's a, a bunch of, like, uh, comments that are happening throughout and a Trump-like character in um, in the workforce that, you know, these characters have to deal with. So it's a very light comedy, light family comedy but it deals with important issues like women in the workplace, you know, being Muslim in America, um, racism, of course, um, within the Muslim community and, with, and outside of the Muslim community. So it has these um, important topics that we discuss underlying, you know, the light kind of comedic um, 
family type of feel? Um, I never actually was able to talk about, um, like, writing with somebody else on this podcast. Um, What was it like, like, you guys wrote for a number of years, like, how did that go? Did you, did you contact one another like once once a week or something like what was the process like so it was really interesting because we had to learn the process and i have always written with a co-writer so every person that i've written with has been a bit different but um at first we try to we we split up scenes and we're like okay you write this scene well we start off like you know outlining it and beating it out and then we're like okay you take this scene i take that scene and so when we'd write it that way it felt like two people, (laughs) two different people wrote it and it wasn't flowing as well. So then, um, Isa, she's became like more of the main writer. So what she would do is she would kind of write out all of the outline of this, of the scenes. We would discuss in detail everything about it. She would write it out and then I would go in and, um, uh, make changes to scenes and to certain areas to make sure it kind of like flowed or it was like kind of the beats that I wanted to hit as a director, especially, um, and then we kind of would go back and forth in that state. And the biggest issue was hitting deadlines, right? Because we all, we had our, you know, day, life, day, day jobs and whatnot. And this is the issue with every writer. It's like you're supposed to write every day. But um, our deadlines would never get hit. And that's why it kind of took so long as well is that we kept on. And it's interesting. I was at Austin Film Festival and I was uh, listening to, um, to the co-writers from 10 Things I Hate About You. And they said that they had to go to couples therapy because they would fight so much and it was really bad. And that's really the same situation with me and my co-writer. It's like, I've never fought with someone so much in my life uh, because we're both fighting for our art, you know, and like art is like your life. And so we'd both fight tooth and nail to get what we wanted out of the script. But of course it makes the script, you know, better from that. Um, But being able to find that too, like, compromising is huge. Like we both had to compromise so many times. Like, okay, you can have that and I can have this, you know? Um, so I am definitely, and I always say I'm not writing is not my number one thing. And I always am like the co-writer. I I have opinions and I, I'm great at scenes and I'm great at fixing like, uh, I won't say great, but I'm good at fixing, um, like what the problem is, but like the blank page is never my thing. So, um, co-writing is always something that's been a part of who I am, um, but if I had it, if I could, and I hope I can after this, if I don't have to write anything again, I would be so happy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's definitely a talent to co-write because, uh, writers have a hard time kind of like sometimes like being able to compromise on things, which I've noticed as well. So you have to be really open to others' opinions. This movie is going to be completed very soon. We're all very excited to see it. Um, I know, you know, it's it's not quite done just yet, so this might be a frustrating question. But anyway, what's next? Um, so uh, let's see, what's next? Well, um, Netflix, I have uh, been talking to people at Netflix, and they were interested in me, you know, pitching um, one of the bigger budget films. So that's kind of my next step. And, you know, that conversation happened a while ago and I kept it on the back burner because I'm finishing this film, but that is hopefully my next step. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, can you tell us anything about what those might be? Um, yes, I think it might be, um, a, uh, a comedic story about my childhood growing up in 
you know, the self. So I'd always say it would be kind of like a brown version of the film now and then. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to say to the listeners before we go? Um, well, thanks for listening to me ramble for the past hour. And Chris, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you again for coming on. Farewell. Thank you.
this movie is going to be completed very soon. We're all very excited to see it. Um, I know, you know, it's it's not quite done just yet, so this might be a frustrating question. But anyway, what's next? Um, so uh, let's see, what's next? Well, um, Netflix, I have uh, been talking to people at Netflix, and they were interested in me, you know, pitching um, one of the bigger budget films. So that's kind of my next step. And you know, that conversation happened a while ago, and I kept it on the back burner because I'm finishing this film. But that is hopefully my next step. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, can you tell us anything about what those might be? Um, yes, I think it might be um, a uh, a comedic story about my childhood growing up in, you know, the South. So I'd always say it would be kind of like a brown version of the film now and then. <laughs> nice. Cool. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you have anything you'd like to say to the listeners before we go? Um, well, thanks for listening to me ramble for the past hour. And Chris, thank you so much for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Hey, my pleasure. Thank you again for coming on. Farewell. Thank you.